Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. Hey, I want to thank everybody for being super cool with the uh, last podcast and everything. Uh, some really good feedback. I appreciate that. Uh, keep your comments and everything coming on the Podbean app. That's one of the better places to put it right now. Although we still do have the section in Sniper's Hide. Uh, a lot of back and forth on Sniper's Hide going on with the comments. We have the Everyday Sniper podcast section as well as a few others happening. Uh, quick updates, as I mentioned, um, the Minnesota, I don't know, I think it's pretty full. Uh, it, like I said, last minute, you might be able to get one or two guys in. There was two seats maybe at the most, but we're still over like 12 students there. Same thing, we're, we're pretty full with the tread proof. There was one seat and I hadn't checked, but as of Monday, we had one seat still left in the class. But, I mean, that, that could fill up in a heartbeat, um, you know, 11 versus 12, no big deal. But if you're interested, we're coming down the end of the line for classes for this season. So if, if you want to take one, I suggest you jump in. Uh, I'm looking at possibly throwing a waiting list class together in September. So if you can make a last-minute class out here in Colorado – um, we had a bit of a waiting list in the the August one, which is this weekend. I got class starting tomorrow. The uh, August class is full, and the October class was full, and that pretty much ends our season locally and what's going on. But um, we were I didn't have anything on the books for September, so we might put one in because there was a waiting list. So if that's something you're interested, drop me a note in the Podbean app and say, yes, please open that up. Um, you know, we're interested in going. That would be pretty much the last thing available. Uh, September, we have the final uh, class and uh, the uh, reunion shoot uh, up in Alaska. So the end of the month, I will be in Alaska to do the reunion in the final class that we have going on there. Then I come back uh, that same week that I get back is the final mile high class. And then um, after that is Tennessee. Pretty much that's everything for this year. So um, definitely if you're interested. Speaking of classes and kind of with the discussions going on and everything back and forth the way it is, I was going over some of the books today, the old manual stuff, like going way back in time. And a lot of it goes back to, as we've mentioned several times, sling shooting. And I wanted to see where some of the disconnects were with the fundamentals of marksmanship versus uh, going into the elements of a good shooting position. One of the books that I have here, uh, and I should check out the dates. I mentioned this before, but I have a, a marksmanship instructor and coaches guide, which came out of the AMU. And this is pretty old. Let me see if I can find a date on this guy. Um, but it's a pretty thick, it's almost like a little mini Bible. If I can find a page that'll tell me when the dates are with this dang thing, it might be in the back. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be a date on here. Does it have a date, date, date? I know the dang book is old, but man, I don't see a... Unless it's in the back somewhere. No, I don't see the date uh, printing office. Oh, what do we got here? Let's see. Uh, limited, blah, blah, blah. Air Force personnel, written authority, Army National Guard, NRA, ROTC, blah, 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 blah. Um, footnote. Doesn't give a date, but I know this thing's pretty old. It's pre-80s, I'm pretty sure. 
but I just don't see a date in this. But they kind of go into, it's funny because they have a steady position. And I'm almost wondering, because I've seen this several times where they talk about instead of natural point of aim, they talk about natural point of aim being an element of a good shooting position. And then the fundamental being a steady position because they go through, you know, sitting, kneeling, standing prone. And then in the Marine Corps book, it even talks about Hawkins position. So you have a prone position, sitting, kneeling, standing, and then Hawkins would be your modified lower prone position. And it's just an interesting way that the old manuals kind of look at it because it's more based on sling shooting, bone support in, in that steady position. And it's uh, the move, the arc of movement. And they talk about when you're building the position, your arc of movement that takes place during it. And then the element of that position would include natural point of aim, which, you know, can kind of get modified up because I, I've seen it several times now where they've talked about a steady position versus not muscling the rifle and having a good natural point of aim. Uh, one of the comments that I mentioned with the Rex class was talking about the fundamentals and then how it applies to a specific technique. And, you know, one of these that it goes back to would be you know, like free recoil. And, and it was brought up several times, the guys that do do the free recoil stuff. And I mean, if you look at sort of an F class, there's a free recoil element of that with the bait, with the, um, the front rest, uh, rear bag, baby powder, the whole thing, super light triggers, bench rest, the same thing, elements of free recoil and bench rest. And then it translates now to PRS NRL with the free recoil or the modified variations of free recoil with that. It's it's not free recoil has has more than one element. It doesn't just kind of go to what we think of when it's, you know, completely away from the rifle and just touching that sort of back of the trigger guard and the trigger shoe itself, which is how many of us look at it. There's also sort of that light touch where the rifle is not being influenced, but allowing to recoil into the shooter's body. This is sort of similar to what the F-Class guys do. Okay, they have the uh, stop on the front of their rest. They slide the rifle to that. They let it come back a certain amount. And they try to be consistent, right? How much movement do you give the rifle, which gives it that consistency a shot? Because, I mean, literally, if you left a rifle to its own devices and where it's not going to essentially fall over and you allow it to do the same thing every time and not be an influence by the shooter, it should be a dumb machine and do the same thing over and over and over again, right? You, you know what I'm saying? So there's those free recoil elements used in other disciplines that have now translated to shooting with the bags and pushing the rifle into the bag and then going from that position, staying away from it and using a really light trigger. So it becomes a technique. And then the only fundamental, I mean, we're, we're still aiming it. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to have a sight alignment to it. So line up the site. You're, you're, you're creating a steady position because you're, you're not touching the rifle. 
You know, there's that there's that element of it. And then trigger control and follow through. Those things all come into play, but it's a technique, right? So, you know, kind of reanalyzing what is going on in executing that type of shot, you know, and, and this is the kind of things that I'm kind of looking at and looking at. The question becomes, and, and this goes back to somebody who does that technique more so than a more hands-on technique. Does that mean that they can't translate a free recoil technique to a more hands-on type technique? Yeah, that possibly they could. There are some people who can who can work and manage in between that because they understand the elements, and that's where the education comes in. If you understand these elements that make up a good shooting position, right? You're not muscling the rifle. You're you're giving it bone support when we're shooting it. And like I said, a lot of that goes back into sling shooting, especially like with bone support. Although you can look at even a prone position when you're breaking at the bottom of your natural respiratory pause, right? You're collapsing on your skeletal structure and taking your heart and lungs out of the equation. You're no longer balanced on your lungs. You're not filling your chest with air and floating on that. You're breaking at the bottom of your natural respiratory pause, which then drops you to your skeletal system, which is your chest, sternum, everything you want to look at, rib cage, right? So you're on that, and then you're up on your elbows. So there's there's positional with the elbow support as well, which is also a bone support element to it. So recognizing elements of a good shooting position as they apply with the fundamentals of marksmanship, you can see how techniques can bridge a spectrum, right? A spectrum with one hand would be a heavy gun bench rest, minimal amount, even with an actuator on the trigger, technique versus holding the rifle and shooting it with a sling okay there, there there's there's a huge spectrum in between that stuff big big spectrum in between those two type of techniques right you can let the rifle do a little bit more work and 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 basically you're looking at the um the the system to fill in the blanks right you, you, um god this is how am i going to explain this uh there, there's a there's a word here that that i want to use well let's go look at it this way accuracy versus precision right accuracy combined with precision your rifle system has a bearing on both your accuracy when it's going to hit a target at distance cuz that could be your scope adjustments and different things like that to precision right so your scope would give you the accuracy to hit a target at distance. Your rifle will give you the position, precision, precision, not position, precision to group, you know, sub M away. So you have two different things going on. Now, if we break down our accuracy, how do we get accurate? Well, we affect both of these things as well as the rifle system affects both. If our position is jacked up and we're putting too much into the shot, well, our precision's going to suffer. 
because our precision suffered, we may not be accurate on target, okay? If we're not able to go and look at our data and extrapolate what we need to hit a particular target, we also won't have accuracy, and that's where your sort of data books come in. All of these things tie into each other. So while we can get away with a lot, and we really can, I mean, especially nowadays, when you're, when we're looking at the quality of the rifle systems, the quality of the barrels, the way the stocks are designed, what we're using to hold those rifles in place, bipods, tripods, the bag systems, right? Those all lend into the accuracy precision side of things. And then we bring us in with the fundamentals of marksmanship and then how well we can apply the elements of a good shooting position. And I look at this as sort of my job is to educate the listener, the shooter, the people on the other end of the microphone to understand how each one of these elements affects the shot, okay? And don't get me wrong, things have changed over time. You look, I'm like looking through these manuals and, and there are errors in there and things that have been corrected. You know, when you look at the, the Army, I was looking at the Army TM manual and, you know, like as mentioned, the humidity is backwards. It says humidity is denser air. Well, it's not. It has water vapor involved the air is less dense. So there are issues. There are mistakes in the old manuals. The old manuals were written by people, okay? And those people were prone to having mistakes and having errors. So it becomes a case of, do we look at natural point of aim? And which I think is the better way of doing it. And it does relate to a steady position, but you're always going to be naturally aligned to the target or you always want to strive to do that i mean even in the handgun side of things right if you're shooting multiple targets it's one thing if you line up straight and square on a single target well think about this from a handgun standpoint let's line up and have five targets across and put them five yards apart okay how do you wind versus unwind? Are you moving and shuffling your feet or are you just moving from the waist? Okay. Are you winding up or are you unwinding? And by that, I mean, if we line up from left and right, so I'm pointing straight on at the left target, leftmost target, and then I'm going to shoot my series across to the right. Well, then I'd be winding up, right? Because then I'm, I'm naturally aligned to the first target and I'm going to increase tension as I move to the last target where some people may say unwind. So the first target is my left target. I'm going to actually face my body at the right target and then rotate my body to back to the left and unwind myself. So as I get farther down the, the 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 shot series i'm unwinding myself so not to cause that tension as i'm moving forward and this can kind of be related to what i was saying are you somebody who can shoot a five shot group or five one shot groups you know what i mean 
And we see this a lot. And I talked about this with canting the rifle and with bipods and different things where you'll see that movement, that can't, where shot one, everything's level and square. Shot two, you're running the bolt, your bipod is loose. What happens? You throw a little bit of can't in your rifle system. So now you, you're, you're off to the right slightly. Shot three, same thing happens. Well, shot four, you're back to center. Shot five, you're in the same position as shot two. So you have shot one and four grouped together. Shot two and five grouped together with three being on its own. Okay, so if you see this sort of group pattern start to appear, it's something to look at. And, uh, you know, that, that becomes that question of a steady position. And are we breaking down and defining that? As far as, you know, one thing is naturally point of aim. If we align to it, if we aim to it, we shouldn't be muscling and pushing on the rifle. But because we're creating movement, could be cheek pressure. It could be pulling the rifle over with the bolt. All these different things now change that steady position and cam you over ever so slightly. And it's small, right? Cam you ever, ever so slightly, which creates a multiple group issue so it's not a five shot group it's actually a three shot group or three segments right so we got shot two and four is one segment shot or or shot one and four shot two and five are another and shot three is the third so we're not shooting one five shot group we're shooting three groups you know so that's the kind of thing that all these elements, all these fundamental, with the fundamentalist Frank go into position, how you address that rifle. Now, I look at natural point of aim from the standpoint that it translates not only to a steady position, but moving you into that position and out of the position. Because this, to me, is a key element. The key element for the modern tactical rifle shooter is from wherever you are right now to getting into that position, engaging in the shot and getting out of it and maybe moving to the next, okay? So by being straight, square, muscular, muscular, relaxed and not trying to aim the rifle by steering it, but rather than looking at that element of a good position, you can move forward into a sitting position, right? And recognizing where your natural point of aim lies. The sitting is an element of a steady position, okay? Because you're supporting both elbows. You're firing into your support elbow, right? But how do you get into it and get out of it? Well, you want to be naturally aligned on the target and recognize how, what angle does my body have to be at? What angle is my body going to be at? in order to naturally align to the target. And this is where experience comes in. And this is part of the technique side of it. If I'm going to go to a barricade, okay, I'm going to move forward five yards and walk forward to the barricade. I'm going to put my bag down it, and then I'm going to line the rifle to the target. Okay, I have to build a steady position. I'm addressing not only the rifle, but I'm addressing the rifle on its support. Okay, elements of a steady position. And then I'm going to dress it on the support. Well, in a lot of ways, um, a P 
PRS barricade event, 90 seconds, you don't have a lot of time and opportunity to test and check natural point of aim. That's where your your experience comes in to know if I do this this way, shoulders square, straight behind the rifle, hips forward, and I'm I kind of square up behind it and, and do that, then I'm gonna be 90% of the way there. Okay, I know I'm going to be 90 and I'm not going to influence. But if I come at it sideways and I turn my shoulders and hips, well, then my NPA in the brain's ability to diagnose that and recognize it is going to be skewed. Okay, because I'm crooked. I'm sideways. So the brain can't the brain goes, I got two conflicting things going on here. You're crooked and sideways, but you want me to be straight over here. I can't do both. I have to either be straight and square or not, right? It's hard to do both and not muscle the rifle on target. And where that comes in, if it's one shot, and this is is that fallacy. This is that point that I I was trying to make with you got a guy crooked, crossing his legs and doing, doing something that is outside of normal, okay? Why does that matter? Well, He's rebuilding the position or he'll be required to rebuild the position. Think about something like an F-class guy. If I set the rifle up in a way where I don't want to be directly behind the rifle because I want my rear, my rear bag clear, I want to use that, and I want to work things in a different way, I could be off on an angle to the side. I know I'm going to have a light trigger and I'm just going to wrap my hand around. So the angle needs to allow me to get my hand around the stock without influencing the backside of it as much, right? Well, I'm going to fire. The rifle's going to recoil back and come off the bag and slide on that flat bottom stock. The target's going to go down. I'm going to be doing other things, getting ready for the next one, uh, pulling out the empty. Excuse me, the empty. I'm going to be marking a book. There's going to be a couple things that I'm going to do. Then the target comes up. I check my call. I check what's going on. Okay, I understand where I hit. Now I have to remanage the wind. Well, you're kind of resetting and rebuilding everything again. While you're shooting a group, you're shooting one-shot groups under a single condition. Then you have to reset and prepare for the very next condition. Understanding conditions will repeat. Okay, so that's a, a, a... an element that I, I'm, I'm not quite sure that people are recognizing that we want to kind of how, uh, you know, it, it would be the same thing with a hand, handgun guy who wants fast splits, right? His hand position on that handgun, his grip, the way his body is behind the rifle and allowing him to manage recoil. And we can really easy see somebody who can drive a handgun really well, Versus somebody who doesn't drive one as well and has to recover from the shot. Now think about that same mindset translated to your rifle system. That's what we're trying to address when it comes to the fundamentals and the fundamentals as applied to elements of a good shooting position. Recognizing we're not shooting with a sling. Okay? Because that's when these were written. These were all written with a sling or completely unsupported to begin with. So it, it, these are, 
the questions that you should be answering in your mind when looking at your own position, when looking at your own shooting and how to diagnose any problems you may be having. Are you lined up in a way that when the rifle comes back and recoils, it's a minimum amount of movement to run the bolt, line up the next shot, and to put it in its point of aim, point of impact location, or are you having to reset everything in order to realign the scope on target and then to hit your target? So this is where, you know, sight alignment, sight picture has translated to aiming, although we still had an aiming element for back in the day, we had to align a front and rear sight. Now with a magnified optic, not as much. And it's interesting too, I, I found in the one, because um, we talk a lot about light. And in a, a several of the older manuals, I, I'm finding where they're talking about light not affecting a scope, the same as it does iron sights. There's a lot of that happening. They're pretty vague on it. But, you know, we've been talking about how we're seeing light conditions, Snell's Law. Well, that's a humidity factor. And, you know, I do bring up something that comes up that we don't see the Snell's Law issue in Colorado nearly as much as I'll see it in Alaska or other places. We don't have the humidity, right? And that's a big key to it. So there's all these other things we're looking at, but you have to translate it to your type of shooting and recognize these elements break them down and look at how how you're addressing each one like even if i'm standing and moving forward i still want it if i'm not doing it physically i'm still looking to virtually split and align the rifle to the target i'm pointing the rifle at the target okay then i'm pointing my body to the rifle i'm looking past the optic and pointing that rifle to the target and then, because I, I want to, right, we find it with our eye. We find the target with our eye. We point the rifle at it. Then we come down and kill it with the scope. Now, these are a, a, a part of the technique that I'm engaged in to build a steady position. Okay, because I don't want to get behind the rifle and then have to locate the target. I don't want to have to, or I'm trying to, build a steady position that is naturally aligned to the rifle as quickly as possible without having to go through the gross adjustment and the fine-tune adjustment for natural point of aim. Because we have a gross adjustment where we close our eyes, go through a couple breathing cycles, open our eyes, and see where the rifle is. Well, at the same time, I don't have time and opportunity to always do that. Correct? So... That means I have to build that position as quickly as possible while trading off parts of the fundamental natural point of aim for my time and opportunity and index on something like trigger control. It's the same thing with free recoil, right? We're indexing on our trigger control because we've compromised elements of a steady position for ourselves we're changing our body position behind the rifle, although we're building a steady position using a bag in the barricade and balancing the rifle in its central point. And part of that might be the weight and balance and how you had that rifle built, okay? Straight taper barrels, 
uh, weight systems, balancing to, for the center right in front of the mag well to the best of your ability. So then the bag supports that balance, okay? We're still doing it. We're just putting our focus in the equipment, not so much in us, okay? So when you're looking at all these things, recognize, yeah, we do see all these other things in these techniques, but there are varying degrees. It's no more put 100% of this behind the rifle or do your best to do it's now, okay, we're going to do 25% of us because we're going to stay away from it. So that 25% may be just where I index my thumb on the back of the trigger guard and I have my finger on the trigger shoe and then my support hand is holding the rifle down into that balance point. So I'm, I'm taking the balance point of the rifle and trying to drive it into the ground and hold it in the middle, okay? We know if we let go of it, it might fall. So we don't want it to fall. We have to balance it. So look at these fundamentals. Look at the elements of a steady position to recognize where we are with what we're doing to execute the shot, okay? What are you doing to support the firing task? That's a key point of it and how we support the firing task, which brings us to that trigger control and follow through. Now, I've seen it written as trigger squeeze. It's trigger control. Okay, we want to control that shot and then follow through. Yeah, of course. I mean, guys, I mean, follow through, I, I call the forgotten fundamental. And clearly there's people out there who can completely eliminate follow through and yet hit their target really well. You know what I mean? Because they've used their, they, they basically bought the ability to not follow through by going with the lightest trigger possible. Okay. It's, it, it's, it's beyond light. It's minimizing movement and you're coming right off. And then you're hoping the weight in the design of the rifle keeps that arc of momentum as small as possible, right? Why do we want a light, light trigger to minimize the arc of movement? So the smaller and the lighter on that trigger, the less movement we can induce to the system. If we put a six pound trigger in there, well, we're, we're you know, between zero and five and a half pounds, there's a lot of potential to pull that rifle off target. Okay, there's a lot of potential to increase that arc of momentum, that arc of movement within the system. And so the, the, the answer is go lighter, go lighter. So that way there, if our trigger control is lacking, that trigger system will take care of it. Right, some ghosty stuff right there, man. So you know what I'm saying? So you can, that's where I talk about you could buy a hit, okay? I can design a rifle, and let's go to um the, the, the full rigs of Benchrest. You, you can go get a barreled action in a 100-pound fixture with a plunger actuator and the scope being off-center, so I never have to influence that rig and I can stack them in, okay? No marksmanship required because I'm purchasing element of a steady position. Well, how do I fix that? 100-pound fixture. Good. Got it, okay? 
the side alignment. How do I make sure that's good? Bring it over to the side and make sure the optic doesn't influence the rifle system. So when I'm trying to sight the rifle, I can I can put it in, I can aim it without influencing the same time, right? So I don't have to maintain the aim if I can lock it down. Then when it comes to trigger control and follow through, I'm letting a mechanical system do it to remove any potential error of me. And then I don't have to worry about follow through because the heavy system is going to take care of that for me. We're going to let the rifle whip. We're going to let the harmonics do its own thing without any kind of influence disrupting that wave. So that harmonic wave is identical every single shot because there's no third party influence to that mechanic, that wave. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, you can totally have a guy out there who is a world record holder with zero fundamentals. Okay, that's that's a completely capable thing. And, and that's my point with a lot of the nitpicking. Um, it's not so much of telling somebody you have to do this this way because that's more or less part of the technique. But the fundamentals do guide where that round's going to go and have a bearing on both accuracy and precision of the shot. So we have to recognize where we can compromise, where we can trade off one and index on the others to try to balance the scale. Uh, we, we talk about it uh, a lot, and it was mentioned back years ago that take a, a table and screw one of the legs up. Well, you can bring everything over to the other side, leave that one out there by itself, and balance the weight of the table so it doesn't fall over. Okay, it could be missing a leg. You know, we see three-legged dogs all the time, you know, uh, one-legged people. We can still make up and balance things as long as we use something mechanical, which in this case would be weight, to put on a different balance point to hold the table up so it won't fall over. Okay, and that's what it comes down to. There, there's, there's influencing, there's compromising, there's indexing and trading off on the elements we control. And that's why I think it's important that you guys recognize what influence you have, what influence you do, and then what you can control and what you can't control. Okay, so anyway, that's where my head was at. I'm looking at these different things. I got class starting tomorrow. Um, so we'll have all the new students out there and we'll be ready to do that. So I wanted to make sure I knock this guy out, especially cause I'm going out tonight. I guess there's a riff tracks thing. I'm going to go see a movie, but, um, cool. Well, I hope you guys had a good time. And, uh, like I said, I really appreciate everybody's, um, attitudes towards the last podcast that I made. Uh, I think everybody got it. I didn't see any kind of negative that came up of it. But um, think about your fundamentals that way. Think about your elements of a good shooting position. And we do recognize that you are able to put those into play even when you're sort of not, okay? Because there's two sides of this. Accuracy and precision can come from us, but they also can come from the weapon system. And the two of them work together. We can we can put more focus on the weapon system and spend more money, or we could put more focus on us. Okay, 
I mean, that's where you start to see the conversations of, well, gee, you're shooting a stock Tico with factory ammunition and you just put them all in one hole. Well, that's a fundamental thing. We got a good system, but it's not an expensive system. We're using something that might have an SD of, you know, 12 or higher. And yet the guy is still able to group them really well. And we see this in class after class after class. I mean, the Tika is a fantastic platform for this. Okay. It's just in the slow node. Well, when we see a student who steps up and we're on them and we're on them and then they're putting one whole groups with a rifle system that costs less than two grand using factory ammo and not hand loads that you contribute back to the fundamentals of marksmanship. If you get a guy who shows up with an $8,000 rig with a straight taper barrel with a weight system in his chassis with has an extra long forearm with a bipod like an elite iron revolution on it and a better rear bag in the back that will take up that pressure, put a bigger, so we got elite iron bipod, we got an MDT ACC chassis, right? And it's got its weight system in it. We got a straight taper six millimeter. And then we go and get on it. Well, we can get away with a lot more because that weight is going to mask and minimize our movements. That long radius, right? The bipod's going to be out there farther, closer to the end of the barrel. That's going to help minimize movement. Where we put that, right? We're at the back of the rifle at the trigger. Where we put that bipod has bearing on the movement that's translated from us to the end of the barrel, okay? The weight system in that rifle has bearing on the movement that's translated from us to the rifle, okay? Your scopes, your magnification. Some guys want that, you know, if it's an F-class thing, a 55-power scope, they want to burn into that X-ring and aim as small as possible. They have a six-foot target with a three-foot bullseye, yet they're aiming at a half MOA X-ring because they want to be able to see and really get that center of the target. They want to use, instead of aiming at the whole three feet, they want to aim at the three inches. You know what I mean? And and that's sort of that difference and why that optic works better, where we, we may get somebody, if we put a four-power scope on there, who does really well and groups excellent because they're looking at it in their sight picture and sight alignment, and they understand, I have to quarter that target. I have to make sure I'm cutting that target every single time into four equal pieces. When it's a 4X and three feet tall, that becomes a harder job, right? Versus a guy who might have a... 55 power scope on a three inch target at the same distance he's got much less movement in the system and a better chance of aiming at the same place every single time how does equipment influence the fundamentals how does the equipment either assist the elements of a good shooting position or subtract from the elements of a good shooting position I mean, if you put a Magpul bipod out there on a rifle and shoot a group and then put an elite iron bipod on the same rifle and shoot a group, you are going to see a difference, okay? Maybe if you did 10 five-shot groups, you'd see three of them that are similar, but overall, there's going to be an over and under a plus and minus of one system versus the other. I guarantee it. 
And that's what we're talking about when it comes to balancing these fundamentals, looking at the elements of a good shooting position and how they translate to the weapon systems that we're shooting and then where they apply. Hopefully this this makes and resonates with some of you guys out there because it to me it's sort of like explaining myself and our philosophy. I know we harp again, it's the Indian, not the arrow. It's the Indian, not the arrow. But if you gave that Indian a super sharp, nice, crazy broad head with a graphite friggin' arrow and, you know, some kind of crazy, well-made recurve bow, it's going to be better than a stick with a friggin' piece of uh, gut attached to it. You know what I mean? And, and something he whittled, tried to whittle straight, okay? There, there, there's, there's a difference in something I made in the field in some techie piece of equipment that I bought, okay? Look at those different things, and then you can recognize, yeah, you can go and buy a hit. Yeah, that doesn't translate because that guy's got a $10,000 rig. He's doing this to minimize himself and take him out of the equation, and he's shooting really well. We get it, okay? Put that same person on something, and if if they're ignoring, and not all of them do because a lot of them have experience and been shooting a long time, and they just know that piece of equipment is what they need to win against the other people. But if you get somebody who comes right out of the gate, who spent the money on a big dollar piece of equipment, you, you start putting them on something of a lesser, you'll start to see variations. You'll start to see cracks in that armor appear. That's our point. That's what we're trying to say when we tell people we want to make you a well-rounded marksman. A well-rounded marksman recognizes these different elements, recognizes that you can buy better equipment, which will then take up a certain amount of, of error factor from you and, and mask it. You know what I mean? And take up that slack. All righty. Hope you guys got that, man. And like I said, it, it's all cool. It's all just dif different stuff that I'm looking at. I was flipping through some of the manuals today and, and just looking at some different things and trying to uh, date-wise kind of figure out where we see this change, where we see it, you know, start to deviate a little bit because a lot of the manuals that I have are, are you know, the older ones here anyway, are bridging the, the 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 gap in the time between the uh the sling shooting stuff that we did back in the 60s and 70s and even into part of the 80s until the um you know modern times where we went to bipod and what we're shooting today because it's all changes but it 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 really doesn't we're just getting better and better and better equipment and so that allows you to get a little sloppy, a little sloppier, a little sloppy even more, but still look like a rock star. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's all we're trying to do is throw that education out there. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I'm going to get this one uploaded for you because I'm going to be on the range all weekend uh, trying to make some more uh, marksmen out there and trying to build uh, these guys up so that they recognize these different things that you guys are listening to right now. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you soon.